Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, how is Ireland planning to reopen its schools and how do we compare to other countries? It's been over four months since schools shut their doors on the 12th of March. It's an unimaginable story, really. Like, snow days are such a rarity that they're happy occasions for children, but the idea of four months out of classrooms was unthinkable for students, teachers and parents alike. So with summer holidays due to end in four weeks, it's been clear that schools have had to find a way to reopen for the sake of those children, their parents and the teachers who have had to teach remotely with various levels of technology at the other end of their screens over the last 16 weeks. It has obviously been hugely disruptive to families and children, and there are fears about the long term impacts on some of those kids, particularly those from disadvantaged backgrounds. It has taken a while, though, to get a plan on exactly how this reopening was going to happen, taking in all the risks that reopening does pose. The government made an announcement on Monday with Education Minister Norma Foley publishing the roadmap with details on extra teachers, cleaning regimes and classroom pods. Other countries have already gone through these initial steps with good and bad outcomes and everything in between. So how does our plan compare to what happened in, say, Denmark, Germany and Israel? Well, Nikki Ryan, our esteemed assistant producer and writer of our coronavirus newsletters, has been taking a look at not just our roadmap, but also what's been reported in those other countries. Nikki, thank you very much for treble jobbing today. <laughs> no problem, Sinead. I mentioned there that it was inevitable we would be opening up in the end of August, start of September. But is that true? Was it inevitable that schools were going to open? Yeah, I think it was because health officials have always painted reopening schools as one of the top priorities for government. But the issue was, is we didn't want to make this call too early. Um, We needed to be at a stage where the level of community transmission of COVID-19 is low enough to not so much make reopening schools a safe bet, but to make it enough of a a calculated risk that we weren't going to exasperate the problem too much if we did reopen schools. Now, we're at a stage where we think that is an acceptable risk to take right now. We still have a lot of community transmission in Ireland. We kind of forget that sometimes because our case numbers are so low, well, inching up the past couple of weeks, but now thankfully stabilised a bit. And so it's kind of been now decided by government and the National Public Health Emergency Team who are giving the advice to government um, that we can proceed now with reopening schools. What exactly has Neffet said on the schools question? Well, the acting chief medical officer, um, Ronan Glynn, has said that he can't see any reason why schools can't reopen before the end of or at the end of August. As I said, reopening schools has been one of the top three priorities for them. So that includes getting health services back up and running, protecting the most vulnerable and also then getting kids back in the school. Because the thinking is, is that um, as much as we need to suppress the virus, we really cannot keep children um, out of schools um, for much longer. Yeah, so one of the things, if you remember back to the 12th of March, there was huge calls to get the schools shut. People were really worried that, you know, children with their colds and their grubby hands and, you know, once one kid in school gets sick, you know, a lot of people get sick. So there was a huge kind of push to close the schools. Um, then we went through a phase of hearing that children were more vectors than victims of, of this virus. What do we know now about the effect of COVID-19 on children and their likelihood to spread it to others? Well, we know a lot, but we also don't know a lot, really, for sure. It's a very complicated and murky situation. So firstly, we do know that a very small number of children get very sick from COVID-19. 
we dedicated a whole episode of The Explainer to this back in May. Basically, a small number of children get something that's very similar to Kawasaki syndrome. And that's kind of your body's immune system going to, into overdrive. It can cause a lot of long-term damage. So this has been noted in a number of children who had COVID-19. Um, we now have a name for it. You might see it referred to as Miss C in the US, but on this side of the Atlantic, we call it PIMS. And that stands for Pediatric Inflammatory Multisystem Syndrome. We now know f- for sure that there's very, very few children who are getting this. Now, secondly, on top of that, we know that a lot of children have been getting COVID-19, um, but their symptoms are usually very, very mild. We know this from certain schools where there were outbreaks in France where a large number of the children had antibodies, meaning that they had the infection, but it might have been just being brushed off as a small cold. Why this is happening, we don't quite know for sure. There's also the possibility of, um, we've discussed this in some previous episodes, that children who get a lot of sniffles and get a lot of various um, minor illnesses, they might have some sort of immunity from recent coronaviruses that they've picked up. And that does, just to clarify, those coronaviruses can cause just the common cold. So Exactly. So these children might have had a cold a few months ago and that has given them some partial immunity. Um, and we, you or I could have caught that same cold. Um, but children, given the fact that they're all rolling around in mud, etc. all the time, you know, they're more likely to catch this sort of thing. So we know already that a small number of children get very sick. Most children don't get that sick. And then the final factor is how likely they are to transmit it to adults. Um, And there's been a massive study of this in South Korea. And it appears that they can be just as infectious, as in they can be just as likely to transmit the virus to someone else. But it doesn't really happen. Um, The jury is still out as to why it doesn't happen. Um, Some of the theories include the fact that children are just physically smaller than adults. So that means that adults aren't catching it often because their mouths are at different levels. It's as basic as that. There's also the idea that when they cough, they're not coughing the particles as far because their lungs are weaker. Now, we're obviously talking about young children like below the age of 12 here. So there's kind of some of the risk assessments that would have been done by NEFIT when they recommended government look schools can reopen. That work has been undertaken over the last few weeks. We got a roadmap on Monday. Um, Tell us about the main elements of the plan. We'll have heard, people will have heard a lot about bubbles and pods. So maybe start there. Yeah, so this is kind of the main um, risk mitigation strategy that they're putting in place. Um, And it's pretty standard across the world in terms of um, where other schools have reopened is that they're splitting the pupils up into smaller and smaller groups. So in Ireland, what we're going to have is bubbles and pods. So the bubbles will be usually a class, say, and a bubble will not mix with another bubble. Essentially, one class will not mix at all with another class. So this is either going to be true staggered start times, staggered break times, um, trying not to share the same classroom at all. But within this bubble as well, you're going to have pods. So that's going to be a smaller group of pupils. They're going to be kept separate from the other pods within their um, within their classroom, say, but not as strictly as bubbles. So the pods might be, you know, one or two metres away from each other. And the mixing between the pods will try to be minimised. Um, so this includes, you know, not sharing materials, try not to get too close to each other, maintaining as much social distancing as possible. This is all down to the idea that the more distance you can put between people and the easier you can make that, um, the less likely they are to spread the virus to each other. And then if someone does get the virus, the contact tracers have an easier job and you also may not have to close down the entire school. How are they going to keep bubbles away from each other? 
So they're going to try to get them into school at different times, get them to take lunches at different times and to avoid any sort of mixing before and after classes. So you may be in a situation where two bubbles may need to swap classrooms. The idea will be is that you try to find a way to make sure that those two groups of children do not come into contact with each other whatsoever. You'd imagine that will be a tough job for teachers too, to have that kind of discipline within the classrooms that students will stay apart even if their close friends are in different bubbles and so they're not meant to interact with each other. Um, Just on that, for teachers, there is going to be a lot more of them in this plan. What has been allowed for? Yeah, there's going to be more than a thousand new teachers. And this is because basically the plan will create a lot of gaps. So if you need to space out pupils more, you you may need to split up classes. So you may need to require extra teachers to be in different classrooms at different times. And then there might be some teachers who can't come back to teaching because they're in a high risk group. So you need to fill those gaps. The government is confident that there is a large pool to tap into here because there's a lot of job sharing teachers who could become full time, teachers on career breaks, even teachers who could come out of retirement as well. They think there's around 2000 teachers out there who aren't teaching but are completely qualified too. Um, Within this plan as well, we're not just talking about um, your normal teacher. There's also going to be supervisors, career guidance teachers and psychologists um, brought on board as part of this plan. They're the main elements of the plan, the the bubbles and the pods, keeping kids away from each other and having a huge amount of extra new teachers, which will include teachers to do um, substitution as well. But what other measures have been put in place to help schools open and to stay open past September? And what are the costs that we're looking at here? Well, the entire plan is going to cost $376 Breaking down that cost is kind of a good way of explaining all these different measures. There's around €50 euro extra for cleaning, um, a lot more cleaning down the surfaces every single day and even repeatedly throughout the day. There's another €75 for minor capital works. So, for example, classrooms may need to be modified to allow distancing. You may need to bring in completely new prefabs if you need that much more space. Um, We've seen a lot around this morning about PE halls being split up um, into classrooms. So money be involved to get that off the ground. And then there's also the basics like you might need more sinks to encourage more hand washing. So there's a 75 million in place for that. There's also 11.3 million in place for school transport. And this is a very tricky one because bubbles, remember, they can't mix at all. They might mix on the bus in. So this money is there to try to make this as safe a process as possible. So that might involve modifying the buses. Um, there's also other measures such as masks will have to be will have to be worn by post-primary pupils on the bus. Family members will be encouraged to sit beside each other on the bus. And there's also going to be assigned seating to make sure that people aren't are mixing as little as possible on the bus. There's also going to be an extra 1.25 million for additional psychologists um, because I know, as you said in your intro, this has been very hard on a lot of students and teachers and parents across the country. But it's going to be a whole other level of difficult for the kids who are going back to school in late August. Yeah, and people's lives will have changed a lot. So some people will be coming in from families who maybe parents have lost jobs and all of that. So there'll be there'll be a lot of people things going on or that they might have actually lost family members too. And um, what has the reaction been um, t- to this plan? Or are the stakeholders like teachers and parents happy with it? Well, the main concern that they have is the time frame involved because it's very late in the day. You know, it's almost August and a lot of schools might be planning to get back in action at the end of August. So there's a lot of concern as to how in that short space of time we can not only get all the building works done, 
we can get all the teachers ready to go with the new plan and also get all the new teachers on board. So the government is kind of quite confident that this 2000 figure that they cite of this pool of unused teachers, essentially, they'll be able to cross that hurdle of new teachers fairly easily. And then there's also the possibility that there may need to be a staggered approach to schools reopening in that one class might be able to go back to school in late August and then maybe in the middle of September another class will start and that'll give teachers more time to prepare this building work more time to be completed and so on um, the political reaction has largely been the same um, our political correspondent Christina Finn spoke to the education spokespeople from opposition parties and they're kind of making the same point is that there isn't a lot of time here to get everything across the line and Donica O'Leary from um, Sinn Féin has also said that we're in a situation where this is a fantastic opportunity to make class sizes smaller, but we're not really embracing that. That has been a big part of the plan in other countries um, where class sizes were halved or even less than that um, to make sure that social distancing could be carried out um, sufficiently. Um, but we haven't really embraced that too much in this plan. And obviously, Norma Foley, the new Minister for Education, um, she's kind of had a bit of a baptism of fire um, on this. She's been accused of dragging her heels in that it did take until late July to get this plan out and about. We mentioned in the intro there that we'd have a look at what other countries are doing, because obviously we're a little bit behind some other places who saw um, the virus before we did. So we can learn from them or we can um, not repeat some of the mistakes. But let's start with the Danes. We mentioned a few countries. So what is Denmark doing? Well, the Danes are probably the leading example in Europe. So they got the virus down to a very low level very early and they reopened schools on April the 15th. Um, So that was only for children below the age of 12. After more than a month, health officials were able to say that that reopening hadn't really contributed to any significant rise in cases. So then they brought back in the older pupils then as well in May. There wasn't really any special magic that they worked here. Um, They operated a pod system quite like what we're going to have with staggered start times. Children didn't have to wear masks. They were told to wash their hands frequently. In the early stages, there was a lot of empty classrooms because the older pupils weren't there, so they were spaced out as much as possible. In some cases, some of the pupils would simply just join the class via video call, so half the class would be in the classroom, the other half be at home. Um, Any shared materials were cleaned constantly and parents weren't allowed on the property. And another thing is that teachers were also encouraged to hold classes outside. Now, that was handy during the summer months, but as we're moving into the winter months, that's going to be um, a lot more difficult. The dream, classes outside. I know, I know. Oh, the best. I know. Government mandated class outside. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Small class sizes were really key to this. So I think you have an average of around 20 pupils. um, The average average class size in Denmark is 20 pupils. um, And that was split in half, essentially. Um, So that was seen as kind of very important. Now, that put a lot more pressure on teachers as well because they had to kind of navigate that um, at a time when the pandemic was still at its its height in Europe. Okay, so that's the Danes. They're the leading example. Um, Let's look at Germany next. It's another frequently cited country and how they're uh, dealing with it, given that their schools are open now as well. Um, what, What has been their experience? Yeah, Germany um, performs extremely well um, in all ways, really, when it comes to um, handling um, COVID-19. And they brought older pupils back to school. And the thinking there was that they were better able to comply with the different social distancing and hygiene measures. They were also required to wear masks, um, which is something that can be a bit more difficult for younger children. Class sizes, again, were kept small and 
pupils weren't allowed to congregate at lunchtime. There's a lot of the similar measures that we're going to see put into place. Um, one big thing in Germany as well was that there was mass testing in some schools. Um, so a child might be tested once or twice a week and they'd also have to do it themselves, which for the PCR swab test, it's a bit of an unpleasant process. And also they were encouraged to wear extra clothes because all the windows and doors were kept open so that there'd be good ventilation in all the classrooms. So you can see that even between the two countries there, there was a few differences in their approaches. And that's kind of across the world is that everyone has their own little ways of doing it differently. Um, I mean, you'll see a lot of pictures from... Um, countries in Asia where they'll actually have perspex dividers around each desk as a way of having more people in the classroom while still trying to maintain a little bit of distance between each other. So that all sounds like positive experiences but we have had countries at the other end of the spectrum. Tell us a little bit about Israel. Yeah so people might have seen um, recent headlines about Israel having to close down parts of their economies again um, and that includes some schools. So they brought back schools And they had a lot of the measures we've spoken about before here um, in terms of social distancing and bubble or pod systems. But then as their cases got lower, they started to relax those measures, which meant that class sizes got bigger and classrooms got more crowded again. And that resulted in a lot of clusters in a lot of schools. Now, there's kind of a bit of split thinking on this because this was at the same time as virus cases were rising across the country in every sector, not just schools. Um, schools were the second largest source of infection. So it was a little bit of debate around whether it was because they relaxed the measures or because simply the country was had reopened itself too quickly and was going to see a rise in cases regardless. Um, so now they're kind of back to square one a little bit and they're kind of relooking at how they're going to reopen schools again. And lastly, let's look across the Atlantic and what's happening in America. Yeah, so this is kind of a different discussion because essentially they're still at the earlier stage of deciding whether or not it is safe to reopen. And given the fact that cases there are still spiralling, it doesn't seem like it is a safe option. Now, US President Donald Trump does believe it is a safe option and that it is important to get schools back up and running. And there are even penalties considered if states don't reopen their schools. But this is largely down to the individual school districts to decide. And a lot of them right now are saying they can't see themselves opening in a couple of months time because they just simply don't think it's safe and possible to do so when there is such a high rate of community transmission in the US right now. When we look at those countries that are doing well, like Denmark and Germany, how does Ireland's plan compare to these? Are there things that match up or are there things that we are missing from our plan that actually did work well there? Well, this has been a factor for us all through this crisis, is that we are a couple of weeks behind a lot of other European countries, which means that we can learn from what they're doing. So you can see a lot of what other European countries did in Ireland's plans. But as I said, class size is a concern as to how small we can get those individual pods down to. Um, There's also, as we very much enjoy the idea of having a lot of class outside, there's no recommendations for that in our plan. Um, There's also no mention of online learning, um, which is very much a part of some of the other um, countries' reopening plans. Nikki, thanks so much for coming in today, Uh, even though you didn't really come in. You just stayed at your kitchen table while editing and recording too. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Nikki for doing all of his jobs today. If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism. It's a difficult time for media as advertising revenues fell drastically during the COVID pandemic. But we are and want to keep providing you and the rest of our 800,000 daily users with valuable, accessible journalism. Loads of you did feel it is important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast and have contributed. A lot of you asked if there was a way that you could give more regularly. So now we have options to become a regular supporter. And if this is something you'd like to do, please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute. If you enjoyed this chat and learned something, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalogue where you'll find other shows on the coronavirus and much more. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry, and of course, assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.